Podcast. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, March the 11th, in the year of our Lord 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. As is our custom on Mondays, we hopefully take a look at one of the readings for the following Sunday, which will be the second Sunday in Lent. Readings are from Psalm 4, Jeremiah 26, Philippians 3, and Luke 13. The item we're going to be looking at is the epistle reading from Philippians uh, chapter 3, verse 17 through 4, verse 1. It goes this way. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, Scripture interprets Scripture. So we don't want to give the impression that if you follow the example of the Apostle Paul, for example, (laughs) that that way you're going to be saved. Salvation is not by merit. What, are, what is he talking about, about following his example then? Well, that's continued in verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, how can someone walk as enemies of the cross of Christ? Well, take a look at the life of Jesus who were enemies of Jesus at that time. They were those who had an understanding of how you get to heaven that is contrary to what Jesus is saying. They crucified him because he was giving the impression that righteousness comes from him and even telling his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem Uh, to be put to death, but I will rise three days later. They appear not to have heard the I will rise three days later. At any rate, the enemies of the cross of Christ are those who speak contrary to what God says. Verse 19, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now, that's the example that Paul is talking about to follow him in realizing that our citizenship is not here on earth and that we will not get much joy from earth, uh, particularly with the view that what we have to do is do good works in order to be saved. This fits right into Bible studies I'm doing at congregations on Sundays The Heidelberg Disputation of Martin Luther wrote that in 1518, and um, we were looking at the problem of good works, and it fits right in to this particular passage from Philippians. 
One of the things I used to do, and I'm giving some thought to coming back to it every now and then, is to take contemporary songs that young people really enjoy listening to and to show how they're in the songs also trying to find a salvation, but it's often by their works. One of the things that helps me in driving long distances to the congregations I serve during the week is I've got Sirius XM in the car. That's a kind of a a radio, and I've got certain stations. I've got St. Louis stations on it. I've got um, particularly Symphony Hall, it's called. They play Bach and Mozart and Chopin, etc. Those are very interesting, and they give some history. So I enjoy that. My my favorite listening uh, after the comedy station is what they call the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. These are hymns from those decades. Uh, For example, not long ago, they were doing the top, I think, 40 hymns in the 1960s, specifically it was 1965. Well, one of the hymns that I liked when I was a child really gives an impression of wrong theology. It's about a young man who's driving with his girlfriend and they have a crash and she dies. But let me read to you a portion of the hymn. Where, oh, where can my baby be? The Lord has taken her away from me. She's gone to heaven, so I got to be good, so I can see my baby when I leave this world. If that isn't an accurate summary, of what the vast majority of people think as to how to get to heaven, I don't know what is. She's gone to heaven, so I got to be good so I can see my baby when I leave this world. This is really the basis of all of every religious thought outside of Christianity. Salvation by works. But how does that lead one to get really interested in earthly things? Well, in the theses that Martin Luther is talking about, he's referring to the former Roman Catholic teaching that said that works without Christ are dead but they are not mortal. Now, what he meant by that, or what the Roman Catholics meant by that, is works done by unbelievers, apart from God's grace, were not meritorious. They didn't get you to heaven. But they are also not mortal sins in the sense of deserving eternal condemnation. And Luther has a lengthy section there where he shows the ridiculousness of that notion. 
He says, it's very difficult to see how a work can be dead and at the same time not a harmful and mortal sin. He talks at length also about the distinction they made between mortal and venial sins. Mortal sins are really serious. And there was a time in the Roman Catholic Church where they were not even forgivable, such as murder, adultery, etc. Now, later on, they became forgivable with much penance, but they were still considered mortal in contrast to venial And the word venial was a word used to describe sins that were not that serious. So obviously they were still sins, but they were so unserious that they didn't mean you were going to go to hell for them. This section is really kind of important because the Roman Catholic Church has really changed its view now on the good works of unbelievers. If you go to their latest catechism, you'll find them saying Jews and Muslims that do good works, they are saved, even though they don't believe in Jesus Christ as their savior. It was a Roman Catholic scholar by the name of Shilabix who talked about anonymous Christians What's an anonymous Christian? Well, it's a person who does not believe they're a Christian, but God thinks they are. And how did he come to that conclusion? He said, some unbelievers have no fear of death. And it was his premise that if you are a person who does not fear death, that non-fear can only come because the Holy Spirit is within you. And therefore, even though you're unaware of it, the Holy Spirit is working in your heart and you will therefore be saved because you do not fear death. Now, I don't know what he would say about ISIS. These are radical Muslims who have no hesitation in putting to death Christians because they think when they go to heaven, they're going to have a wonderful time in that heaven because of their martyrdom. They're not afraid of death. They're looking forward to it. So would Shilabek say that these people are therefore anonymous Christians? I think not. But who knows? In fact, I've said this often before. If a Roman Catholic truly believes that individuals who have never heard the message of Jesus Christ, if they're doing good deeds, like helping out their neighbor, etc., and they're going to go to heaven, why would you ever give money for missions? Because a missionary is going to go and tell them about Jesus Christ, and then they will deny him, if they're unbelievers, and go to hell. So why would you send missionaries to people who already are going to heaven because of their good deeds, leaving the chance open that after they hear the message of Jesus Christ, they will not like it and therefore deserve eternal hell? It doesn't make any sense at all. The good works of unbelievers simply 
are never meritorious. Now, there's a discussion among some Christians that maybe these good works could prepare unbelievers for salvation, or maybe they even earn some lesser punishment from God. And I can imagine with the doctrine of purgatory, there is a teaching among some Roman Catholic scholars, I did a paper on this once, that if you are a good unbeliever, you don't get as much of a punishment in purgatory as if you are an evil unbeliever. Now, there's no no background for this at all in the Bible. It was just kind of made up because people couldn't imagine that somebody, for example, let's say lived a terrible life, he was not a good employer, he cheated people, all kinds of things, but on his deathbed, a priest had come to him, talked about Jesus, he repented of his sins, he was converted, he believed in Jesus, and he died that night. Well, why should he have the right to go to an eternity in heaven just like somebody who was baptized as a baby, stayed in the church throughout their life. And so I believe that was part of the reason why the doctrine of purgatory was made up out of the figment of one's imagination to kind of balance things out. But once more, we're running into a problem that people are trying to make Christianity reasonable or rational. And every time you do that, you will be led into false teaching. But there's something else that occurs. That even though unbelievers at times may suggest that their good works don't get them to heaven because they don't believe in heaven, they still don't believe that their good works ever will necessitate that they go to hell. And that's what this is really all about. That the problem of good works is that on the part of unbelievers, as well as on the part of Christians in regard to their old Adam, never can merit heaven because nothing can merit heaven. When I say merit heaven, it means you can earn a place in heaven by your works. Now, there's no doubt that we make a distinction between the two kingdoms. Well, what are you talking about, two kingdoms? There is a temporal realm and there is a spiritual realm. Uh, for example, what I said yesterday, let's say there's a car crash and the car is burning and an atheist is driving by and he sees the burning car, he jumps out and he pulls the passengers to safety before the car explodes. Then the atheist gets some kind of honor from the city for being a hero. Is that appropriate from God's point of view? And the answer is, it certainly is. Because in the temporal realm, God does reward even the works of unbelievers. Uh, for example, if you stay under the speed limit, you'll get the reward of not getting the ticket, hopefully. If you pay your taxes, the IRS won't come knocking on your door. 
the, the problem that Luther points out, that even though the works of the unbelievers may be good in the civic sense, that means in the temporal realm, they never are regarded by God as meritorious in the spiritual realm because all fall short of the glory of God. If good works ever saved you, you would have to do a good work with perfect motivation. And then you could turn to God and say, look, God, I finally had enough to save myself. I did enough. Well, the problem with that is that's called arrogance. Yes, for an unbeliever to become arrogant, he needs to look at his life in such a way that he doesn't believe he needs a Savior. For when an unbeliever says he doesn't need a Savior, there are two things that are really obvious. Number one, he doesn't believe he's such a bad sinner that he deserves condemnation. And number two, he regards his life as pretty good. If you ever want to attend a funeral where that is so clear, then attend the funeral of a member of a lodge, the Elks or the Masons and this sort of thing. And I've done that. And the whole sermon is about what a wonderful person this was. I once had a member who was a sister to the individual who died. And after the funeral, she told me, I did not recognize that person from the sermon. That person was not as good as the so-called pastor was speaking about. So we need to be really careful in at funerals, at the wake, that's usually the night before, where we often give the impression, well, we know that person's in heaven because he was so good. That creates arrogance because of good works. And when that occurs, since there's really no belief in heaven or hell by an unbeliever, it can result in a love of earthly possessions and self-confidence, which is exactly what Paul is talking about in our text for today. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Yes, they like to have the best cars, the best houses, the best family, the best jobs, etc., etc. And when they start losing those, look what happened during the Depression. People actually committed suicide. The Christian knows that even during the Depression, either globally or within his own life, God is still keeping his promises. And so this love of earthly possessions and self-confidence is really the same kind of problem that Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden. When the devil, hey, you can be like God. And so as the Bible study earlier this morning was pointing out, it wasn't the eating of the apple that began sin. 
It was their self-confidence in becoming like God, and therefore they decided to go against what God's word said and believe what the devil said. And we know what happened since then. Now, how do we avoid such arrogance on our part? Because we're Christians. And you can even ask some Lutherans, if you die tonight, will you go to heaven? They'll say, well, sure, I go to church. I was a teacher in Sunday school or an officer in the church. I give missions. I go to Bible study. I bring my children up. I send them to parochial school. Notice all the things that they're telling you that they have done, thinking thereby that that kind of arrogance God appreciates rather than saying, well, I don't deserve any of this salvation, but because Jesus Christ died on the cross for me and gave me all these benefits in the waters of baptism, then I can understand why I am saved. Getting back to the whole idea of the distinction between mortal and venial, venial being, let's say, sins that are forgiven, your sins will be forgiven when you are aware of the fear that they may be damning. You see, you and I cannot read our hearts. And so many a time, the motivation behind doing something could be quite contrary to what people are concluding. I I just saw a movie where a, a nun was trying to get one of her sisters uh, to be blessed and declared to be a saint. And she was working very hard on that until it became obvious that she had some opposition to teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. And she thought if this sister had been made a saint, she would have a better floor to stand on to speak out against what the Roman Catholics were teaching. Now, nobody realized that ulterior motive she had until near the end of the movie. Because it seemed like she was so kind, taking care of people and this sort of thing. All of us are like that, where at times we ourselves cannot recognize our ulterior motives in doing something. And that's why when your life is centered on earthly things, that's primarily because you have a lack of fear of God. Why do you think Luther's explanation of the commandments, we should fear and love God, that, that that fear isn't a servile fear that we're afraid God's going to come and kill us for sin. It's a filial fear, like a child has toward parents. The child may love the parents, the parents love the child, but the child is quite aware that if they do something wrong, they may be disciplined. And it's that kind of fear that's being talked about in the Bible. God has the power as well as the authority to send you to hell. And the fact that he will not do that is not because of any of your good works. 
is because you have a proper fear of God, recognizing that he always has the upper hand, even in regard to your salvation. Because apart from Jesus Christ dying on the cross, guess what? Then there's no hope that your lowly body will be transformed to be like his glorious body and that all things will be subject to himself. Philippians 4 really helped to be understood by looking at Thesis 9 through 12 in the Heidelberg Disputation. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, with the help of Mark Smith, we're going to take a look at a hymn that appears to contradict the liturgy. Because in the liturgy, in our confession of sins, we often talk about that we're such poor, miserable sinners, we deserve nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. What's the title of the hymn? Lord, Thee I love with all my heart. Who can sing that after making that confession? We'll talk about that with Mark Smith on tomorrow's Rumination Tuesday Law and Gospel. Till then, God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.